Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Everybody doing okay? Staying healthy, that's good. I survived Omicron, so I appreciate you guys praying for me. Uh, yeah. And anyhow, I want to welcome everybody who made it here in the room, everybody watching online as well, and anybody that's sick out there, we need to be praying for everybody out there that's sick as well. But thank you for being here today. So we are in the thick of this series. And this whole series is talking about the fact that you and I, every single person in this room, we were all born into a cosmic battle between good and evil. It's a battle between God and Satan. And as Christians, God calls us to be prepared to fight this battle in the spiritual realm by putting on what's called the armor of God. Ephesians 6, here we go. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So Paul says, okay, you've got to be ready. You've got to be appropriately dressed for this battle. Let me begin with this. Have any of you ever been in a situation where you were not dressed appropriately? Can can you just raise your hand for me for just a second? Okay, it can be a little awkward, right? You show up maybe to a formal event and you're wearing jeans and a t-shirt because nobody told you otherwise. Okay, that can be embarrassing. But sometimes if you don't have the right outfit on, it can be downright dangerous. For example, there was a time when I went on a date with a girl and we didn't talk attire ahead of time. And so I showed up in my homemade Wrangler jean cutoff shorts and a dingy concert t-shirt. I mean, I was dressed to the nines. I mean, it was incredible. When she got in the car and she was all dressed up, she took one look at me, and people, if looks could kill, oof. And of course, being a teenage guy, she's like, totally went by me. I'm like, what? What is the problem here? I can tell she's glaring at me, right? But she still ended up marrying me, okay? Something about the fact that I have other redeeming qualities. She's right here, so you, you can just, yeah. She had a lot of training to do, but all right, in all seriousness, I was in a truly dangerous situation one time. I thought about this. I went camping with my brother in Yosemite National Park, and we were absolutely unprepared that evening. I mean, the temperatures, they weren't expected to drop so low, but they plummeted well below freezing, and the clothes we had, the sleeping bags, the tents, it was all, they were all purchased in Houston, Texas, okay? Enough said. They were not rated for that kind of temperature. It was the coldest night of my life. I actually got extremely sick after that. And I thought about this here because Paul says, hey, hey, Christian, you are in a battle, okay? So don't go waltzing out on the battlefield in street clothes. You gotta be dressed appropriately. You need to put on the spiritual armor of God. Now, if you were here last week, Jason talked us through the first three pieces of spiritual armor and what they represent. First, the belt of truth represents knowing and acting on God's truth. Second, the breastplate of righteousness represents purity, living in righteousness and purity and holiness. And third, the shoes represent the gospel of peace. Now, if you missed last week's message, I would encourage you to go online and get caught up because we've got a lot to cover today. So I'm going to dive right in here. We're going to talk about the final pieces of armor you need to put on to fight this spiritual battle. The fourth piece of armor is the shield of faith. Let's pick it up here in verse 16. 
Paul says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Okay, so the shield of faith protects you from these flaming arrows that Satan is going to shoot at you. Now, just so you know, a Roman shield was a piece of wood covered with leather, okay, so that it would be flame retardant. It was about two and a half feet wide by four feet long. So with it, the soldier could actually protect his entire body. And because sometimes the enemy arrows were ablaze to set the person's clothing on fire, homes, camps on fire, often before a battle, what a Roman soldier would do is to douse that outside leather covering with water to extinguish those flaming arrows. So what does this shield of faith represent? Well, the shield of faith represents believing God's word is true even when things appear otherwise. Folks, it's trusting the promises of God even when they don't make sense. At times, it's walking by faith, not by sight. That's the shield of faith. I know that what God has said is true and he's gonna help me, so I'm gonna believe God rather than my own feelings. You know, many years ago, there was an old bumper sticker that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You guys may have seen that before. But in reality, it could have just said, God said it, that settles it. Because, you know what? God's word is not based on whether you think it's true or not. It doesn't really matter if you think it's true or not. It's still truth because God said it. What God has said is true whether you believe it or not. So people, what God has said in his word about sex is true whether people choose to believe it or not. So if someone says, well, you know what? I'm going to blow this off. I'm going to go have sex outside of marriage. They're going to end up with some big issues. I promise you because God's word is true. Emotionally, maybe, physically, maybe, spiritually, maybe, in some way, they're going to pay a price. Why? Because God wants to get them back? No, not at all. God loves you, and he knows what's right for you. He knows what's best for you, and that's not it. That's why he spells it out in his word. So what God has said about sex is true, what God has said about money is true, whether you believe it or not. And so using the shield of faith, what that represents is believing God's word, even if your gut tells you otherwise. And so the Bible says that all these blazing, flaming arrows are coming at you. And I actually love the King James Version. It calls them fiery darts. And people, these fiery darts, they're all mental. Okay, they're things that Satan puts in your mind. Speaking of this battle in the spiritual realm, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10.5. It's a passage we're going to cover over the next three weeks. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You know, think about this in a warfare context. When you're in a battle, who do you take captive? Do you take captive your own? No, you take captive the enemy. Well, that means there are enemy thoughts in your head. There's a battle going on up here, people. And we have to learn how to distinguish the different voices because there's God's voice, there's our own voice, there's voices from the world. But then there's another voice up here. It's the voice of the enemy. So hear me on this. Not all thoughts are your thoughts. The sooner you learn this principle, not all thoughts are your thoughts, the sooner you'll stop being duped in life. Let me give you a surefire way to determine if a thought is an enemy thought. If it causes you to doubt God's word, it's a thought from the enemy. Doubt is the beginning of each fiery dart. Did God really say I mean, can you really trust God? Isn't that just your interpretation? 
You ever heard those thoughts in your head? Now, what do you do when the fiery darts come zooming at you? Well, let me tell you what to do. You doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. See, a lot of people do the opposite for some reason. They believe their doubts and they doubt their beliefs. That doesn't make any sense. Doubts are meant to be doubted. Beliefs are meant to be believed. But when you begin to believe your doubts, then Satan has cracked open a door in your life and you are vulnerable to his attack. And the reason God says we've always got to carry that shield of faith is because Satan is always trying to deceive your mind. He never stops. The Bible actually says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Using the shield of faith is the only way to please God. So I'm going to trust God no matter what my feelings say, no matter what my eyes tell me, no matter what my ears hear, I'm going to trust that what God has said is true. Now, this whole concept of learning to recognize the enemy's voice is so crucial, it's so vital. We're actually going to talk in depth about this over the next couple weeks, but we got to move on here because we're going to cover three pieces of armor this morning. All right, the next piece of armor every Roman soldier wore was a helmet. And folks, the helmet is the most important part of a centurion's armor. I mean, think about this. If you got a head blow, it was often a mortal blow. If you've lost your head, you've kind of lost it, right? Not many people walking around headless that I see. Kind of important. So pay attention here. Verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation. And what's the purpose of a helmet? It's to protect your head. In this case, to protect your mind. So the helmet of salvation, it represents trusting that God has saved you, salvation, and living like it. <clears throat> the helmet protects your head, your mind, against lies about your salvation. And folks, the whole basis for living the Christian life starts with knowing who you are in Christ. You've got to know that God saved you, that God delivered you from the penalty and power of sin. In fact, if you were to study the New Testament and you were to analyze Paul's letters, most of Paul's letters fall into two main categories, okay? There's two parts to Paul's letters. The first few chapters are usually a reminder to believers of all that God has done for them. Like, here's what God did for you. He sent his son, Jesus. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus delivered you from the penalty and power of sin. That's the first few chapters, and then after that, usually Paul goes on to say, now that you know that you've been saved from all that, now that you know you're a new creation, start living like it. You're no longer under the power of sin. In other words, first, accept and trust the fact that you are a child of God with a new nature. And then second, start living like it. But if you doubt this first part, if you doubt your salvation, meaning you doubt Jesus really died for your sins. You doubt that, you know, Jesus has forgiven you and given you the gift of eternal life. Then let me tell you, Satan can deliver a mortal blow to your spiritual life. He can go right after you. See, here's the truth. The power to live like a Christian starts with knowing you are a Christian. I mean, doesn't that just make sense? If you're not sure about that, you can't live by faith. By definition, you're living with doubt. You were doubting that Jesus was telling the truth when he said, whoever believes in me shall never perish, John 3.16. And that's why I think the most dangerous theologies in the world are theologies that tell you that you can't really be sure whether you're saved or not saved. I mean, it robs you of power from the get-go. I mean, it just, it defeats you from the outset. 
Right? It takes all of that power away. I mean, you can't trust God to save and help you in the here and now if you're not sure he saved you back when you put your faith in him. Folks, the whole Christian life is lived by faith. It starts with faith, continues with faith, it ends with faith. Take a look at Romans 1.17. It says it perfectly. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, okay, you have no helmet of salvation, you have zero protection against Satan, none whatsoever. But the solution is simple. Trust in Jesus. Receive his free gift of eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, for it is by grace, that means a gift, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You say, well, how do you get saved? How's that done? John 1, 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know, over 150 passages in the New Testament alone speak to the fact that salvation is an absolutely free gift of God received the moment a person puts his or her faith in Jesus. John 5, 24, it's a great example. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Okay, that's present tense reality and will not be judged, that's a future promise, but has crossed over, that's the past, from death to life. So you're covered with three promises, past, present, and future. Just think logically with me about this. If somebody gives you a gift called eternal life, never-ending, everlasting life, you have this eternal life gift, and then you lose it, did you really have eternal life? No, by definition, eternal life is something that goes on forever. It cannot be lost. I mean, you may have had some kind of life, but it wasn't eternal life. So if you put your faith in Jesus for eternal life, and then you doubt that you're going to be saved, you doubt you're going to spend eternity in life with Jesus, that's not coming from God. That's not coming from the Bible. I believe that's coming from the enemy, okay? So it's an attack against your mind. You've got to put on the helmet of salvation, and let me take a little aside here. Something that really saddens me as a pastor today in our culture is the fact that there's an age-old lie. It actually dates back primarily to the 16th century, and it's become very prominent. It may be the most predominant theology in seminaries today. It may be the most predominant theology in churches today. And it seeks to eliminate this helmet of salvation from believers. I'm talking 100%. And it's not the fact that you can lose your salvation it's the fact that they'll tell you you can never really truly be sure if you have salvation in the first place. And why is that? Well, because according to this theology, Jesus didn't die for everybody. He only died for a select group of people known as the elect. And they say, well, Jesus just didn't love the non-elect enough to die for them. And that means that you can truly and honestly and sincerely put your faith, your trust in Jesus for salvation. But if you're not one of those chosen elect, it doesn't matter. They say you have what's called a false faith, which, by the way, can appear identical to real saving faith. And no amount of faith, no amount of works, or nothing else you do can save you or even prove definitively that you are saved. Oh, and, and by the way, you can't really know, not 100%, 
You can't really know if you're in that elect group, that select group, until you die. Wow. So in the meantime, you get to sweat over the very real possibility that you're going to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. In other words, you have no sure helmet of salvation. Now, not surprisingly, if you study these churches, the Christians, the believers who attend there, they live in fear, they live in guilt, they live in worry. They often become legalistic because they're trying to prove through their works that they really are true believers. Sometimes they end up with psychological issues because the enemy continues to bombard them with this lie that they may not be in. They may not be in that elect group. It's really a theology that has more in common with Islam than Christianity. It's very fatalistic. And here's the bottom line. Once you lose this helmet of salvation, Satan can blow your mind. He can mess with your head. So let me just encourage you people, stick with the promises of God, the simple promise that's repeated 150 times in the New Testament. Salvation is a once and forever gift received the moment you put your faith in Jesus. And by the way, this book right here is very clear that Jesus and God, they love all mankind. This book is clear that Jesus died for every person on this planet. A couple verses for you. 1 Timothy 2, 5 to 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, listen to this, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Not for some men, for all mankind. How about Colossians 1, 13 to 14? Tells us what God did for us in the spiritual battle. It says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of, of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins you see how there's zero doubt in paul's mind here that the colossians were truly believers and i'm telling you god doesn't want you uncertain he doesn't want to leave you hanging as to whether or not you are truly saved that's a lie it says that god rescued us from the dominion of satan once and for all so he's not going to hand us back over to him in fact, God promises Christians they can never be condemned. Look at Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, the bottom line of Scripture is this. You can be sure of your salvation because God said so. And you cannot lose it because God promised that. All right, there's more that I could say about this, but we've got to keep moving on. One final piece of armor we need to cover today, and that's the sword. Now, the sword was used by Roman infantrymen. It was short, it was double-edged, and interestingly enough, it was used in hand-to-hand combat. You could cut and thrust with this particular sword, and it's the only offensive weapon in Paul's description here. Verse 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation, we just talked about that, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the sword of the Spirit represents using God's Word as a weapon against Satan. And folks, this is something we don't often talk about. And I would say, unfortunately, most Christians, many Christians, even longtime Christians, don't know how to use this book right here as a weapon. But real maturity is when you know how to use the Bible as a sword. You know, the writer of Hebrews says to his readers, you, you guys have been Christians for a long time, but you're still immature. And listen carefully to what he says to them. 
He says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, and here comes the definition of maturity, who by constant use, not I've studied the Bible, but I practice it, I use the Bible, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Okay, what's he talking about there? Maturity is when you know the Bible so well, well that when an idea seems off, you're able to identify that. You know, this, that's not quite right. That can't be from God. You've spiritually trained yourself to know right from wrong, to know good from evil. And the sword is so important because it's the one and only offensive weapon. See, it's where you're going after Satan rather than Satan coming after you. You are taking over territory. You're not just defending yourself like some poor person under attack. You're saying, no, Satan, you're not going to get my marriage. You're not going to get my job. Satan, you're not getting my family. You're not getting my mind. I am fighting back. And this book right here is your sword. The Bible is your sword. And this baby is sharp. It can cut. And the better you become at wielding this, the more dangerous you really are. But here's the catch. Okay, there's always a catch, right? This book right here, the Bible does not become your sword until you know it, until you memorize it. See, all the words in this book right here, if they're just sitting up on a shelf somewhere, they're not going to do you a lot of good. But if you memorize it, it's in your mind. And remember, that's where the battle is taking place. It's up here in your mind. And so now you have a weapon. Now you have a sword that you can use. And the word of God is similar to a short sword for a soldier. And let me just explain this to you uh, real quick. A um, little interesting Greek study here. The term word that's used here, it's the Greek word rhema. And just so you know, the term rhema, it was used of verbal utterances of God as opposed to the written word of God, as opposed to the living word of God, which is the Greek term logos. You may have heard that. Jesus is referred to as the logos, the living word of God. The, the Bible, the written word of God, is referred to as the logos. But rhema was used of spoken words of God. Spoken words of God, where Christians would speak those words as a part of their protection, as part of their daily life. So for example, if you look at James 4, 7, it tells us to resist the devil and he will flee from you. I believe that needs to be verbal. That needs to be rhema. And if you look at the Bible, Jesus actually teaches us exactly how to fight Satan. Remember the temptations in the wilderness? In every temptation, Jesus answered Satan's fiery darts with a scripture verse. And so Satan says, hey, why don't you do this? And Jesus says, nah, it is written. In other words, it says this in the Bible. And then he quoted a Bible verse. So when Satan says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll bow down and worship me. Okay, in that moment, Jesus didn't pull out his pocket Old Testament and go, I, I know somewhere in Deuteronomy here, just get, give me a second. There's a, there's a verse. No, he knew it. He quoted it. And I know he had an advantage, right? He wrote the whole book. I get that. But still, this book right here, it doesn't become the sword. The Bible doesn't become your sword until you know it, until you've got it up here. 
And so a great practice, a discipline for you as a Christian is to memorize Scripture. Now, I started doing this way back when I was 18 years old. I got hundreds of verses of Scripture memorized, even a few books of the Bible. And that gives me power because typically when you are tempted, when you're facing some kind of a struggle or temptation, some kind of an attack, you don't have a Bible handy. So, for example, let's say you're tempted to spend money you don't have on something you don't need. I know none of you have ever fallen into that category, okay? But, ladies, let's say you walk into Nordstrom and you see this really fine-looking dress, and Satan shoots that fiery dart and goes, man, you would look so good in that. And you're like, I can't afford a, I don't know, $450 dress. I have no idea what dresses at Nordstrom cost. Whatever. But you know you can't afford it. And Satan's like, yeah, you can't. Just discharge it. Got a credit card, Visa, man. You got this? Now, in that moment, you're probably not going to pull out a Bible, you know, and go, I know there's a verse in here about not spending money I don't have. Now, you need to have that up here. And I'm not saying get the whole Bible memorized, right? I'm, I'm not talking about that. Just a few verses, and you know the areas you struggle with. I don't struggle with buying dresses at Nordstrom, okay? But, but you know, whatever the verses, you know, you need, get that. You struggle with impatience, Google it. I struggle with impatience, Bible verse, boom. Some verses on patience. You struggle with your eyes roaming in lust, verses on self-control. Whatever the area is, find a verse. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Just jot it down on a little note card and keep that card with you. Just keep it handy. Even if you're terrible at Scripture memory, if you say it over and over and over again, eventually you'll have it down. And see, now you've got something to fight with. Now you've got a sword. Otherwise, when Satan puts those thoughts in your mind, you know, you got nothing to fight back with. You're like, I'm going to take you on, Satan. <laughs> Satan stands back and goes, you think I'm afraid of your words? I have no fear of your words. But, oh, if you quote the word of God, that's a sword. Hebrews 4.12, check this out. For the word of God is alive and active. These are not just dead words printed on a page. Powerful, alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Okay, so Paul wraps this up in verse 18. This is key. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So prayer is important, but I would tell you this. Prayer is the way you put on all this armor. So you say, God, today I need to put on the belt of truth. I've got to know and live in your truth. God, I need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. I don't want to have impure thoughts or motives or relationships. I want to be pure. You say, God, today I've got to put on the shoes of the good news of peace. I am so stressed out today and I need your peace. Or you say, God, when lies come at me today, help me to hold up that shield of faith. Help me to trust that your word is true even if it doesn't look true in my life. God, remind me that I'm your child, that I'm safe and secure in my salvation. Help me to keep that helmet of salvation on. And God, help me to memorize this Bible verse so that I can have a sword to fight back against Satan. Folks, prayer is how you fight this battle. I know a lot of people think prayer is just something you tag on, like you pray before your meal, pray before bed. No, prayer is how you fight and win the battle. So begin using this spiritual metaphor in your life. Say, God, I'm going into battle today. I need this armor. First of all, I need truth. I need righteousness. I need peace. I need faith. I need assurance of my salvation. And I need to learn how to use this book right here as a sword. That's how you're going to begin 
to win the spiritual battle. That's how you're going to have victory in the Christian life. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for this incredible metaphor in the Scripture and how true it really is. And I know that Satan laughs when we try to go into battle and we're not equipped. We don't have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of peace. We're not living in faith. We're not assured of who we are in Christ. And we're not learning to use your sword, your word. God, forgive us for the times when we have thought the enemy may be flesh and blood, other people, and, and we've been ill-equipped and, and not recognizing that we're not battling against flesh and blood. We're battling against spiritual forces, this invisible war that's going on. So God, in the, in the coming weeks as we talk in depth about the ways in which Satan messes with our head and plants lies in our mind and and his whole background, who he is, and, and how he operates, and how to discern the different voices that are going on. I pray that you would help us to be attentive to those things, and, and to learn, and to grow, and to put this into practice more than anything else, that this would not just be a neat little word picture that we learn about, but it would be something practical, something that we begin to use day in and day out. And God, I just want to thank you most of all for your incredible love for us. I thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness through your word, the living word, the active word, and through your Holy Spirit living in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, folks, so in the coming weeks, get ready. We're going to go in depth about these different voices and how that works and talk about that. But before we get there, start putting into practice the armor of God. Okay, start putting this on. You guys have a wonderful week.